Hi, I'm Rob Kendall and this is the Front End Podcast. The Front End Podcast explores the ins and outs of life as a developer. We delve into challenging topics around modern day development and technology, including learning, professional growth, programming languages, frameworks, tools, techniques, UX, UI, careers, and so much more. Joining us for episode five is Bethan Vincent. In her own words, Bethan is a marketing consultant, fellow podcast host, and international speaker. She works with NetSales in York as a marketing director, and Bethan's going to talk to us about a range of topics, including her own journey in, from the medieval into marketing, her popular podcast, The Brave, women in tech, and her thoughts on creating a diverse hiring process. So let's get to it. Bethan, hello. Uh, techie, marketer, podcaster, writer, welcome. Welcome. I don't know why I'm saying welcome, but <laughs> thanks so much for having me, Rob. Sorry, I think I'm used to being on the other side too much now. So welcome like, to the safe space. Yeah. No, thanks so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. I'm going to point out to people listening that we've I've, I've committed the rookie error full stop of just not actually recording the first, I don't know, five minutes of our chat. So if any of this seems a bit weird, that's probably why. When we get back into the non-weird territory, that's where we would have gone. It's good. It adds flavor. It adds character. It does add flavor. Um, how's, it, how's it all going? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, we're obviously, uh, it's the, I think it's the 16th of March today and we're in the middle of kind of Corona panic, I would say here in the UK. So that that's made for an interesting day. Uh, lots of plans being changed, but apart from that, pretty good. How are you, Rob? Not bad. We're, we're sort of a bit isolated from it because I'm a fully remote developer. Our, our kind of company's pretty much all remote. So that doesn't exclude us from getting coronavirus, but it probably limits us all this self-isolating. We kind of, that, that's just our nine or five, to be honest with you. How, how are you finding it in the world of marketing with this corona? Because I've, I've had some interesting marketing campaigns targeted at me. They're a bit kind of corona related and straight away you just kind of feel a bit, ooh, no. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally, both at work and kind of in my out of work marketing, I do, I've completely stayed away from it. I think it's, it's all too easy to think, you know, oh, this is a trend I can kind of jump on the back of and hijack and do news jacking is a big thing in kind of marketing PR at the moment. But at the end of the day, it's people's lives that are at risk and it, it can be easy to lose sight of that if it's not affecting you directly so if you're considering doing it maybe don't is my advice yeah see if you if you're listening and you are just don't because i mean speaking as a as a marketing director like bethan and a, and a normie like me a non-marketing <laughs> person <laughs> I like that distinction <laughs> just yeah just just don't let's let's not and say we did one of the things I like to talk about is kind of origin stories. And I always bring this up that mine was very kind of, I don't know about boring, but very linear. I, I used to build computers and now I program them and I still do that. But you've had quite a varied career. You started out with a degree in medical literature, medical history, one of one of those. Me- definitely medieval, something medieval history, yeah. So right in the past, before tech was a thing, I think printing presses were all the rage. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you get from that into the role of, uh, Bethan's a marketing director at NetCells, a company or technology company in York. I mean, how do you get from that to a medieval history degree into kind of marketing director? I mean, marketing probably existed in medieval times, but it was more like, how can I grow tax sword selling or just plain shouting at the edge of a market stall, right? Yeah, I think it was a lot of shouting at the edge of the market stall um, and printing little leaflets and sending them to people. I think they had a concept of direct mail maybe back then. <laughs> not too sure. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. And there's not really kind of a straight answer to it, I guess. Um, I'd say by accident 
accident and a bunch of luck thrown in there as well. So I went to University of York, studied history, uh, specified myself in the medieval realm. And that, that was very exciting for me personally and intellectually stimulating, but I kind of knew there wouldn't be a job out of it. I didn't want to be an academic. And that's really, if you want to follow history, that's one of the main routes you can take. And I'd actually worked for English heritage before my degree. So I knew what it was like to work in the heritage industry and didn't want to do that. Yeah, while I was at university, I actually started writing a blog. Back in the days, I don't know if anyone remembers when Blogger was kind of the popular platform. I think it's owned by Google now and they've shut it down. Uh, it was also the days, I, it wasn't quite MySpace days, but it, it was just after that. And so I'd learned a bit of HTML from trying to put like falling stars on my MySpace profile because I was so cool. Um, and kind of building this blog on Blogger introduced me to a little bit of, I guess, code. I didn't really think of it at the, as the time, at the time as that. It was more just copy and pasting stuff I found on the internet and seeing if it worked. But yeah, that kind of got me interested in technology and building websites. And then I graduated from university and had no I literally no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to go and work in London for the big four, like a lot of my friends. So I set up a couple of businesses. Some worked, some really didn't work. <laughs> because I was a student doing everything completely bootstrapped, I had to learn how to do, market these businesses, you know, literally from scratch because I couldn't pay anyone to do it for me. So my, I, I always say I'm not, I guess I haven't got a marketing degree. I haven't got the qualification. I'm a self-taught marketeer. And then from there, um, I just, I really love technology. I love playing around with things and uh, I call it tinkering, like just trying stuff out and normally breaking stuff. <laughs> so I did a bit of my own business for a while, got, I guess, good at marketing, then did some marketing consultancy, freelance work, and then did a bit of consultancy for a company called Bitemark, which is actually where I met you, Rob. Um, and they offered me a permanent role. And I kind of thought, well, this full-time employment steady paycheck thing is kind of nice. Not really had that before or since before university. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty life changing. You can, you know, afford to do things like pay tax. <laughs> Um, and from there, you know, kind of worked at Bitemark for two years and then got the opportunity at NetSales, which was, you know, a step up for me in my career. And I've always been someone who said yes to things, sometimes to my own detriment, but luckily this was a good yes. So been at NetSales for ooh, a year, a year and a couple of months. Time has flown by, but um, it's, you know, leading kind of the more strategic level of marketing, going from that kind of tactical focus to strategy has been really interesting. And I've really enjoyed it wow yeah that um i can't believe it's been a year i i know a suspicious amount of people from like weird previous employments where we weren't actually employed at the same time the first guest i had on sam Be um, beckham oh, yeah. he he was kind of me when I, I took over his role but not that i didn't force him out he kind of left and i it was vacant and then i took it so it's like we kind of got friendly that way and it's the same with you i kind of we came into each other's radars about the same time we kind of almost worked there together you know i, I think i came around for a bit of a hey how's it going yeah. visit before before starting um i like that you mentioned the myspace thing because again sam mentioned that i did a first dabble into website development through myspace and it's brilliant these sites existed where you could just essentially dick about with kind of the code and now everything's kind of locked away but there was myspace there was geo cities and and some kind of I think it was like some kind of penguin thing as well but these are like kids i'll never know anyone yeah. anyone has got into it about the same age as us kind of the kids i'll never know these days they're they don't they don't have these cool things to tinker about with 
I liked what you said as well about um, just being open to opportunities and saying yes. And again, one of the things I hope to kind of cover a bit is kind of careers because I, I get in touch with a lot of kind of junior developers or aspiring ones who seem to struggle the most with just getting into the industry. And I think that would be a bit of advice I would give them is kind of look, listen out for the opportunities and don't be afraid to kind of say yes and explore them. So you think that served you pretty well in your career to date? Yeah, definitely. And also being self-taught, I always had a portfolio of work, even if it wasn't commercial, it was always kind of something I could show an employer and be like, look, I haven't got the rubber stamp of approval from whatever qualification body, but I've actually got real experience. And I know from at NetSales when we we recruit developers, and that's one of the things we look for. We don't really care if, if you've got you know, a degree or whatever, but as long as you can demonstrate, you can do the work. And that that's always more impressive to me as a hiring manager than someone saying, oh, I've been on this course. Not to say the courses are bad, but I think you've got to have something you can showcase to people. Yeah, because I mean, I, again, I mentioned this um, on the, the previous episode, I was talking to two kind of recruiters and they were had the exact same thing you know get a portfolio of some nature and so you can you can kind of showcase it off now i struggled with that for quite a while because i i was working at a time where you know, it wasn't as easy to have some kind of suite of code to show people and i and i worked with a lot of proprietary code so i couldn't kind of show any open source things and i couldn't sort of go hey look this is what i've been working on because it's like it's all intellectually copyrighted and things so to be able to build that up i think is is great that you have got that kind of showcase especially if you're on the earlier ladder in your the earlier rungs of your career ladder where you maybe don't have the experience to talk about stuff which i had in place of like an actual portfolio to show them i could talk about stuff if you can't do that definitely get a portfolio also just to say that as you become more advanced in your career and i'd say i don't know it's really hard to talk about where i am in my career i'm kind of mid-level i guess um i've still got years and years to work thanks to the uh raise and state pension age but i still have a portfolio now and it's something i actively try and add to even though, you know, you could argue that I have the work experience behind me to back me up. But I just think if you want to stand out as a candidate, use everything you can. You know, you talked about personal brand a lot. It doesn't necessarily have to be something directly related, like, you know, you have to have a GitHub account if you're a developer, but things like like this podcast or some kind of like a, a blog or something where you can go, look, this is something that's more of an extension of me, which is a canny little segue into The Brave, which mm. is uh, a podcast that you run, which is, I must admit, it's a great, it's a great listen and we'll plug it a lot on the show, but it's it's called The Brave. It's about resilience. Uh, it's great listen, and it inspired me to start this very podcast. And, you know, because well, it's one of them you think about doing it. You're like, oh, I don't know, because you've got to put yourself out there, and then you've got to, you know, just the, the, I know from doing marketing in the past, it's a content schedule that kills you, right? It's not necessarily the physical recording. Um, and, and yeah, and I just thought, well, and it sounds like a really backhanded compliment. I thought well, if if Bethan can do it, I could do it. Oh, totally. Oh, that's made my day. Like hearing that someone else has done that off the back of what I've done, you know, and that's why people do stuff right to kind of, I don't know, influence other people and help them. So that's great. No, that's awesome. And yeah, and I think that, you know, does give you that extension of your personal brand. It gives people who potentially looking to hire you as well, something, you know, apart from the other merits of doing it, it gives people something else to kind of get a sense of you. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about that. What is it all about? Why did you start it? Yeah, I'll start at the beginning. So um, I had just accepted the offer to go to NetSales and that seemed like a really new, exciting new chapter. And I guess I was kind of quite scared about it. You know, it's a big thing to move a job, no matter what situation you're in, 
And I was having a shower on, I think it was New Year's Eve. I'd gone away with some friends and I was having a shower. And you know, when you have one of those really long showers that just go on forever because you've got time and wasting water probably. Um, And, you know, you're just thinking about stuff. And I was like, I I really want to expand my knowledge of marketing. You know, I've done the same type of marketing for a couple of years at Bite Mark. And everyone seems to be talking about podcasts. And I have no idea what it takes to produce and record a podcast. You know, I've done a bit of YouTube. I've done a bit. I've done blogging for years. So it was another, I don't know, new frontier for me. I was also kind of thinking about, I am really scared about starting this new job and a bit nervous. And resilience was kind of a theme that came up in my mind. And it's been it's been a big, big thing throughout my career. I've often had situations, especially running your own business, that are less than ideal. And you have to push through and have self-belief and have that resilience piece. And so I thought, this is something that I don't think we talk about enough. We talk about hustle and, you know, hustle culture and just keep on going, you know, to the expense of everything else. But I want to talk about, okay, you know, how do we make sure we can operate for the long term and be robust and be adaptable? And, you know, the world is changing. This week is a really good example of the world changing, you know, the drop of a pin. And how do we keep on going in that? So that's kind of where it came from. And also, to be honest, you know, there was a bit of I knew it would be a way of talking and picking the brains of great people like you, Rob, because I had Rob on the show. I think you're episode number three or four, if anyone wants to go back and listen. And it was a way of connecting with people and hearing their stories as well. That brings us sort of nicely, I suppose, onto, um, you know, I wanted to ask about women in tech because um, being yourself a woman in tech, what is your experience of being a female in the tech industry? Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, there's been a lot of very empty bathrooms and no queuing. So that's been, I guess, a positive. Um, yeah, it's it's been a problematic. I try and not identify myself as a woman, if that makes sense, in that that's the big defining thing about me. Um, but obviously, when you're in a situation when that is a characteristic everyone is kind of seeing, it's very hard to escape it. So, you know, I've gone from working in heritage, which was a lot of a lot of women in that industry, to this very male dominated environment. And I think it is that resilience piece. I've kind of had to learn how to, I guess, be be a bit more assertive. And that can be a real double-edged sword for women, um, as numerous studies have proven, because you're either seen as kind of like, I guess, a bitch, if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, um, or or you're seen as kind of a, a weak, and you can't really, choose, you know, either you're not effective and you're seen as kind of playing this stereotypical female role, or you're seen as assertive and getting your job done, but you're also a bitch. So that's been a bit, you you kind of have to come up with a a thick skin around that and really um, understand that it's something that you can't control other people's perception of you, but you can control how well you do a job. I think it is changing though. Definitely in the past couple of years, I am seeing a lot more women enter into this industry and a lot more um, diversity in a general sense, which is really nice to see. You know, I no longer go to conferences and I think like, oh God, this is really awkward. I'm like the only non-white man here and that's going to be a fun evening. But, you know, on the flip side, sexism obviously still exists and I've had experiences at events and conferences that have been either sexist or just plain kind of harassing. It's, I don't want to. I don't want to say it's absolutely perfect and everything's fine, 
because it's obviously not, but I don't want to put people off coming into this industry either. You know, there is a lot more happening. There's a lot more awareness. So if you are a woman looking to enter into tech, please don't be put off. There are people here advocating for you. And, you know, people like me who I'm, you know, fairly lucky to be in a senior position in the company. And I am very always like, you know, we've got to look after everyone. We've got to do things right by everyone. But also, you know, you are going to encounter issues that that's just probably going to happen unfortunately statistically yeah that's that's covered a lot of my questions around the kind <laughs> <Sorry>. of <laughs> no no that's good they're around the, the kind of challenges you've had you know either sort of personally or secondhand and things and it's nice to hear that there is at least a bit of a positive skew going on that you've either seen i mean i think from my experience you know as a male in a male dominated kind of environment it is quite a shame i mean the vast majority of my career has been spent with like just yeah like you said a lot of very pale white dudes you know and and then and at work as well uh, and uh and, and it is it's quite a shame you know the, the females at these companies i've worked at have always been segregated to the kind of other roles that are not kind of non-technical um yeah. it's nothing to do with the competence or, the, or what the role entails just they're not what you classify as the technical roles like the developments and things like that they're always in like accounting or hr and things and it is a shame and i've always tried to explore why that is is it kind of because it's very off-putting having just a group of you know a group of men is it like an intimidation thing is it because they just don't feel like the opportunities are there or is it just you know that kind of it's very male and ego kind of driven because i mean our industry i think is worse for that kind of very gatekeeping and very guarded and very like um actually and i think it's doubly worse for a female because oh well what would you know you're a female which is stupid you know it absolutely is but at the same time that is the kind of uphill thing that you're battling against yeah and it's it's interesting for me so marketing sits in this really weird place where you're you're definitely not a developer so you're not seen as technical you know in air quotes but also you you generally do have some technical knowledge as well so you'll be on the almost the periphery of the code so you might be um almost leading what what features or what what new things are happening on a website yet you're not seen as technical and that's always been a bit of tension for me and i think that's actually partly fueling the rise of a lot of these low code no code tools because i know as a marketer in in certain situations i've got really frustrated with the development team and gone fine i'll just do it myself you know, because either like they've been like, oh, we don't understand why we're doing that. And, you know, maybe that's a, something on me to explain it better or they just won't do it. And I'm there like literally my job is to sell more stuff to keep us all in jobs. You know, I'm not doing this for no reason. So that's why I kind of taught, taught myself a bit more code and I'm not very good. I'm not going to lie, but I know enough to break stuff. <laughs> And then annoy the developers even more. Um, but, you know, that's where I think low code, no code really comes in. Because firstly, I'm, I'm not going to the development team asking them to do annoying changes that are very small and I appreciate are annoying. Also, I'm able to kind of control what needs to be done and be able to ship it quite quickly as well. I think some of that's just trying to, you know, think outside your box a little bit as well, because, um, you know, I think it's a very specifically with tech as well, especially development within tech. It's a very kind of siloed, you know, we, we exist in these little kind of vacuums, I think. And it's like, oh, this market is coming away me and asking me things. Um, and it happens with designers as well. You know, design is kind of the certainly in front end, which is, this is about um, design is kind of like the other side of that development coin. You know, they're, they're making the, the design of the user interface and you're implementing them usually 
And I think, you know, it's very much, oh, it's just in the way and it's what you do. And you're like, well, yeah, the marketing department and sales, they keep you in a job to be able to do the stuff that you like. Yeah. Or maybe you don't like it. That's why you're quite grumpy about it. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, I've learned a hell of a lot. And I'm like, a, I'm not a designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I've learned an awful lot about it by working with some really skilled designers and kind of leeching the information from them and trying to work with them and understand why does that need to be exactly 10 pixels further south um, rather than just throwing the teddies out of the pram. I would I, I try to tilt the scales a little bit in the other way and, and I follow a lot of kind of very prominent female de developers and things on Twitter um, and in my kind of sphere of influence and try and share that a lot to hopefully you know widen people's horizons a bit or, or share that that kind of knowledge and hopefully maybe reach some people who like to get into tech who maybe are off off put um, do you have any kind of advice for for females looking to break into it or thinking about career and development or you know tech things like that yeah totally I think one of the things and this is something I wish I'd done is get a mentor or almost like a sponsor and I don't mean someone paying for anything I mean more a sponsor of you professionally who is willing to be a bit of a sounding board when you might hit some problems or you might want to just kind of vent and be frustrated at the situation and ideally if, if you're a woman looking to go into tech if you could get another woman who's already kind of established in tech and and have that kind of connection that's really helpful I think secondly uh, as you say try and follow people who are doing these jobs in the industry who are people you can admire and look up to that's that's always really encouraging to me when I, I follow um, a lot of very senior kind of female marketeers who, you know, like the CMO of Unilever and stuff like that. And they are, they are incredible. And I've seen them speak. And that just makes me realize that, you know, I can do this. There are people out there who've done this who are similar to me. And um, they've managed to do it, which is really inspiring. Uh, and I think also in York, we have something called Women in Tech York, which is a really great um, network and event series of women in tech. But it's not just women, you know, anyone can come and, and be part of the events. And that's just a really great support network. And they cover a lot of topics around um, that might affect people, minorities in tech. So they do stuff like around burnout, imposter syndrome, um, negotiating pay rises. That was a really interesting session, um, which, again, that's just arming yourself with the knowledge the support network and just being around people like you and I'm not saying we should always just be around people like us but if you are underrepresented sometimes that is important to have that representation and feel like you can be yourself but really a good employer will allow you to be yourself whoever you are so again that's another thing if you're looking to go into tech as a kind of a job route be really picky about who you work with that's one of the things that I absolutely loved about Bitemark um, for the brief five weeks that I existed at that company. Uh, I'm not a terrible developer. I was made redundant. It's okay. Um, but it was uh, just the the baseline that it set where it was very kind of, it was very diverse and it was very inclusive. You know, we had um, we had males, we had females, we had uh, people who, who identified, you know, non-specific genders or non-binary genders. And, and kind of it was all just normalized you know there wasn't any kind of fuss about it and i kind of think that was a good benchmark i think for how it should just be you know it's yeah. like you want you want to be whatever crack on i mean yeah. I, that's generally my attitude towards it you know people get really bent out of shape about things like gender fluidity when you're like well really 
just get on with it. It's not really anything to do with you. Just be a nice person. And that's pretty much all anyone's ever asking of you. You know, and it's quite simple. The rules, there are none. Just be nice. Yeah. And that was one of the things when I joined NetCells and, and when I joined Blackmark, I kind of went into the office to like see what the environment was like and understand what the dynamic was like and what almost I was getting myself into. And if I felt I couldn't walk into that building and be myself, I, I knew it wasn't for me. And I've had interviews like that where I've gone in and, you know, it's been people in suits and I'm I'm not particularly corporate. I can do corporate when I really need to and I need to impress and whatever, but it's not something I want to do every day is wear a suit. And you, I just knew I wouldn't be accepted and welcome there. But to walk into somewhere where you're like, ah, okay, I can be myself here. That that's somewhere to kind of aim for and to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which again gets us into this um, to talk about the hiring processes. Um, now, it's a subject I think you have been or are quite passionate about, and you've you've kind of had a hand in pioneering different types of hiring processes. And again, we're going to go back to Bitemark because again, when I when I applied through Bitemark, it was quite a different approach than the standard CV, interview, telephone, you know, tech test, something like that. You know, you helped to change the way that they hired and to kind of anonymize it, which was ultimately what it came down to. It kind of anonymized the vast majority of the process until you actually had to turn up um, at the interview. And I did ask them if you could turn up in some kind of costume or something. And, and they were kind of, no, no, just come as you are. I was like, oh, can you tell me a bit more about that and your, your feelings on kind of recruitment and, and kind of hiring for, for those yeah. roles? So just to be clear, I didn't actually pioneer that at Bite Mark. It was really um, Matthew, who was one of the co-founders, who, who really kind of set that up and pushed for it. But I think it was a really interesting and good thing to do as a company. I, personally, there, there were some kind of downsides to it, which we were aware of and we were kind of trying to fix. You know, stuff like it's it's really hard to know if you can be yourself you know just what i was saying about walking somewhere and know you can be yourself through an anonymous i can't say it now an anonymous process you know if both sides are pretty anonymized how can you express yourself and know that is going to be accepted if that makes sense but there's definitely something that needs to be done in hiring and i think that anonymization is part of the solution to this problem in that you know most companies just hire the same type of people and then wonder why they don't have new ideas or new ways of thinking within the company and you look around you're like well everyone is a carbon copy of everyone else here and and you know that's a big barrier to diversity obviously and inclusion as, as well having that representation pulled in and the process is a blocker to that I think one of the things yep is anonymization but it's also candidate pipeline in the first place so if you even if your process is perfect if you don't have people applying for the roles and coming through the process that's going to be a major issue so uh, my opinion is that companies need to do a bit more to sell themselves to candidates you know it's it's a two-sided equation you know both sides need to be happy to make jobs work and again sorry i'm talking about net sales a lot but obviously it's kind of my day-to-day at the moment that's something i'm really keen i'm hiring at the moment at net sales and you know i say or talk to the candidates you know ask me questions like you know tell me your concerns because I, i want to sell to you and make sure you're comfortable with this but you know, most job ads are so like, we want you to be able to do this, these million like skills and techniques and what what will you get out of it? You'll get a less than average market salary. That's just not going to cut it anymore. <laughs> or, you know, like your perks are, um, well, I saw one the other day was like, your perks are standard hours. It made it sound like they were saying like, your perks are, you have a 30, a 40 hour week is a perk. And it was like, 
um, I think I think they put it in the wrong section, to be honest. But it did read that way, and you're like, okay, this isn't going to be a great advert. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that where they feel like they're really scraping the barrel, like oh, the perks are you there's there's parking at this place, and you're like, well, I mean, that's kind of I suppose appealing if you work in Leeds, where it could be a cost, so you've got to sell a kidney, you park your car, but at the same time, you're not going to get much job satisfaction out of that. You know, you sat there at your computer going, yeah, I packed my car for free. <laughs> it's yeah. like get in. And it's interesting, the recruiters we spoke to on episode four said a very similar thing in that, you know, the, the job market, especially in tech, is very weighted towards the candidate. There are far more jobs than there are kind of candidates for it. And that shouldn't mean that you as a candidate should be pretty blasé, like, well, let's walk into this job. But I think it does mean that they have more choice. And if you're like me, and by the sounds of it, you, you're drawn very much to that kind of culture. And you're like, I'm going to spend a lot of time here. I want to work somewhere that's that's pretty good. And that doesn't mean you know, ping pong tables and beer do not equal culture. Mm. But I think it is that, you know, how you conduct the work and kind of how do people get on? You know, is there opportunity for that kind of collaboration? Is it a diverse environment? You know, and those those kind of things. And I'm always drawn to those personally. Yeah. And I think for me as well, part of what whenever I work somewhere and really enjoyed it is because I've been working with an amazing team and the team is so much a part of your day in any job. And there's something so wonderful about working people working with people who are at the top of their game, you know, who, who are like smashing it, who are just incredible at what they do. And that's so inspirational. And that's something I always look for to work with the best people. And actually lots of studies have shown that's the best way to attract high quality candidates is to have high quality people in your business. And I know that's a bit chicken and egg, but I think companies, you know, if you want the talent, you've got to invest in it and the best will follow the best. Yeah, I've, I've always said that. I always attribute it to Steve Jobs, this quote, and I'm not quite sure if that's right, but we'll go with it for now. Uh, is that like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you know, you're in the wrong room. And I've always kind of, as well as being very open to opportunities and saying yes, I've always kind of thought, yeah, if I'm becoming the bigger fish in this pond, as good as that feels for a while, it gets a bit stale. And I think you need to be challenged a bit. And sometimes the challenge is not, how am I going to build this API? The challenge is, I, I want to be challenged by my peers, if you like, and work with these people who are really kind of going to pull me on a bit. And I think that's how you, how you kind of learn and you grow. When you step away from kind of more formal learning and and university courses and things like this, where you're not challenged in that way, it's going to be your peers and their kind of attitudes and, and the way they conduct themselves is going to pull you up a lot. And I think, yeah, you're right, more companies should have a bit more of a kind of chilled interview process. You know, they should. I've been to places where it's three or four people sitting in a big panel and it's very scary, rather than just sort of having a nice coffee and having a chat um, that, you know, is obviously going to include your experiences and talk about the job in hand. But, you know, it is a bit more, let's have a tour. Do you want to work here? Because, you know, we we quite like you at this point. Do you like us? You know, it's that yeah. kind of, it's a bit like dating, but for a job. Yeah, and I do, I will say one thing on that. I think you've got to be really careful around hiring for, in quotes, culture fit, you know, yeah. and using that kind of informality as an excuse to be almost like, would I enjoy socializing with this person? Well, you're not employing them to socialize with them. You know, they're there to do a job and it's okay if you're, you don't want to go out for a drink with them at the end of the day. So you've just got to be a bit careful with that and not not make it into something that it isn't or, or a relationship that it isn't going to be. 
No, no. And it, and it is a fine line. You know, it, it's kind of, it doesn't have to be this, um, you know, this formal stuffy kind of like, we pay you for this and you do this work and that's like become a robot for the, between the hours of this and this. But yeah, you're right. It's not about like hanging out with your mates and getting paid for it, which whilst that would be awesome is, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is that kind of line in the middle. Yeah. Um, and you get no work done. You know, if I was with my friends, oh my God, it would just be drinking Prosecco and chatting. Which sounds great, but I don't know, it wouldn't be that fulfilling in the long run. Maybe that's what it's like as a remote developer. We just, uh, no one would know. (laughs) Drink the Prosecco, do the code. And then you're like, huh, an hour into this, the code quality has drastically improved. (laughs) No, no, I wasn't talking about drinking. It's Prosecco JS, of course. Ah, yeah. The newest framework, light and bubbly. And I liked, I liked the stuff you've been putting out recently about um, your personal brand and, and kind of building one of those. And I did an episode on The Brave about it. And um, I, th- I think you talked about it on one of your um, conferences. But it's something you do a lot of in large part, I think, by being very active on places like social media and you go and do plenty of talks, which granted this isn't just a hobby of Beth and she does do it as part of her job it's kind of selling the company without selling the company kind of thing but um you go and do talks at events and conferences and things do you have any tips for people looking to kind of improve their personal brand or maybe get into kind of conference speaking and why that's that's helpful yeah I mean so I think you need platforms to express your personal brand on that's that's kind of a start so I, I would always advise everyone to maybe if they I mean I would advise people to have a personal website and I'm saying maybe if you want to but if if you're really serious especially about stuff like you know marketing web development having that platform that you own that you can showcase your work on is really really important in my opinion and it's not particularly onerous to do you know hosting can cost you 10 pounds a year and then you could build something free on github pages for example but you've got to put yourself out there. Also, you've got to know what you stand for and maybe what you stand against. So I'm very clear, you know, what I, this sounds like, you know, really big headed, but what I will and I won't do and what I will and I won't talk about and endorse. And most of the time, I never have to actually do anything about that. But I know kind of personally where my lines in the sand are. And then with the conference speaking, I mean, I started out doing it in like pubs, you know, pub events full of 10 people really low level, you know, started from the bottom. And that was a great way of building my confidence, getting a bit of kind of a reputation, because that's really important. If you want to go and book a massive conference, you know, 1500 people and speak in front of them, they're they're probably not going to book you unless you can demonstrate you've got some prior experience. It's so much risk on the side of the event organizers. So if you've got some videos from previous events or testimonials, that, that just helps. And this is kind of the marketeer in me speaking, but I always I always leverage the last thing I've done to get the next thing I want. If if I want to, you know, one of my big things this year was to speak at Turing Fest. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and they've already announced a load of speakers and not contacted me back. So it probably won't happen. But, you know, I could talk about the fact that I'd done something very similar that was in a very, the lead developer. So I could kind of say like, look, I've done a very similar event to this. Um, this is why I think I'd be great for you. And it's just building that confidence and that, that having that kind of trust mark. Anyone can do it. It's, I say anyone can do it. Anyone who wants to do it can do it. It's just putting yourself out there is difficult, but the rewards are, are they're kind of incalculable because I'm not doing it for the money. If I was, it would be a stupid thing to do because really, you don't generally get paid for conferences until you reach a certain level anyway. 
I just do it because it's a great way of sharing my expertise, obviously getting my kind of brand and NetSales brand in front of people. And I just really like going to conferences as well. <laughs> so it's a way of kind of going to these conferences without necessarily having to pay for all the travel, which I wouldn't be able to afford, you know, or personally. So there's, there's a load of benefits for people. Yeah, conferences, even if you don't speak at them, are just great because I think, again, it just gets you out of that um, silo and that kind of vacuum that you work in. You get some other ideas that might be nothing to do with um, what you're currently doing, but they, they give you that, you know, they give you a bit of thought generation, go, oh, I see someone else's ideas and other perspectives. And yeah, it's quite good for that. So I'd always recommend going to them. For all I don't get to loads myself, uh, and especially maybe don't start going to them now with all this Corona stuff. I, I, I was thinking as I was saying that, I was like, uh, maybe there won't be so many to go to. But I think what will happen over the next couple of months, there will be more. There'll be more kind of niche Slack groups. So I'm a member of Slack groups like Women in Tech SEO and stuff like that, which is a great community. And it, you know, you can kind of put your own ideas out there, as similar as you would in a conference talk. And maybe we'll have digital video platforms or kind of take off more. You never know. I think tech is poised to fill this gap, to be honest. Yeah, it really is. So the last thing I ask of everyone is, uh, since you're here with an audience of currently tens of people, but we are growing, um, would you, have you got anything you'd like to plug, anything you'd like to talk about specifically? Yeah, I mean, I, if people want to listen to another podcast, um, The Brave, that would be great if they popped over and gave it a listen and just maybe let me know what they think about it. I'm, I'm kind of changing the format a little bit at the moment and trying out some new ideas. So it'd be good to hear what people think about that. And I do a lot of writing online. So if you want to head to bethanvincent.com, yes, I have a vanity domain. <laughs> um, I do, you know, there's loads of information about my work, the podcast is on there and my speaking as well. And if you've got any questions about anything I've talked about, or you want to hear about it in more detail, one-on-one, I'm always happy for people to email me. It's just bethan at bethanvincent.com. Cool. And I will put, I'll ask Bethan uh, when we're done recording, ask her to send me over bunches of links to everything and I'll make sure that's all in the show notes um, and we can refer them there. So yeah, if you want to follow Bethan, she's uh, at Bethan Vincent on Twitter. And I think the brave, is that just, yeah, it's at the brave listen. Um, and that, that's well worth it. Um, she's got great guests like me on there and, uh, and yeah, it covers, it covers a wide range of stuff. You know, it's not, it's not all about kind of just mental health. There's a, a range of topics about kind of resilience, but I think it's, it's very important subjects and there's, something for everyone um so definitely worth a listen thank you very much for coming on the show it's been great having you thank you very much thank you so much rob it's been absolutely pleasure speaking to you so that's it for this episode do consider subscribing and give us a like or a share on social media speaking of which if you'd like to follow the show we're available on twitter at front end podcast you can follow me rob kendall uh, on twitter too at kendall mint code if you'd like to find out more about the show sponsor an episode or be a guest you can find out more on the dedicated website thefrontendpodcast.site 